This is the podcast at Clark's Room. It's my thoughts on education, technology, leadership, and life. If you like what you're hearing, please take a minute to like, subscribe, and share. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Thanks for tuning back into Clark's Room. I'm excited to have Pam with me. Pam, can you just introduce yourself just a little bit? Sure. My name's Pam Gildersleeve Hernandez. I did do that. I hyphenated my last name, even though I had a really long one. And I spent 26 years in public education, 17 as a teacher, and then the last nine, almost 10 years um, as an administrator. And I'm now the executive director for Q, working with a fantastic team of John and Kate and Jason and um I'm going to just, I'm going to go down the list and Mary Lee yeah. and Alexa, right. And Danny, and I'm going to leave somebody out and they're out there, but, um, Danielle, we have a Danielle and a Danny there and they are go. incredible people. So uh, I'm not going to lie. I did internet stalk you just a little bit, which is not hard anymore. Right. It, it, I feel if we're not internet stalking people, it's almost like an insult. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what do you mean? You look me up. <laughs> but you have done a lot of things that are, is kind of cool teaching to assistant principal to a superintendent slash principal. And I believe if I remember chatting with you before in a small school setting, a small district setting. Yes, it's a small rural school district, uh, K-8, and actually TK-8. And I tell you what, that has been one of the most heartwarming, soul-fulfilling positions um, that I had along a pretty fantastic career thus far. Um, when you get to be part of a team where you you get to add your vision, but still go out on the playground and play Foursquare when you need a little break, there's something pretty magical about that. Yeah, I don't think there are a lot of superintendents that are able to do that, so that is pretty impressive. It's. I don't know how you can uh, do that position without it. <laughs> so, so give me a little dirt on on the the position of superintendent. I actually have an older brother that is a superintendent, but we don't really talk work much because we end up fighting because we're both really stubborn. Um, what's <laughs> what's one thing or or a couple things that people just don't have any not not because they don't have any idea, but because they if you don't sit in that seat, you probably could never know. And that is perfect. And I tell you, since um, having become an administrator, and I learned it about one week into the position, and you know, feel it even stronger um, as a result of my superintendent years, is I would like to go and apologize to every single administrator I ever worked with, <laughs> um, and just realize that when I came and complained to you, you already knew that. Um, when something was wrong, you already knew that and you couldn't comment on it because there were privacy laws and confidentiality laws um, that stopped you from being able to speak to that. And yet you greeted me every morning with a smile and kindness and patience and supported me while I was teaching um, and taking care of business in the background without ever giving up that, you know, hey, as a principal or superintendent, you really had my back or we're doing the right thing. You just couldn't say so publicly. I'd say that's the biggest secret that administrators have out there. And that, you know, when we see them get frustrated or tired, they're human people. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think we forget that sometimes because, you know, at the end of a, a school day, you know, and I'm remembering back to my, my teaching years, just being exhausted and, you know, thinking, boy, you know, the 
accountability for a student wasn't up to snuff or being frustrated with a colleague and you know why isn't the administrator doing anything about those that you know like kids coming up into coming into my classroom after you know having no discipline in the previous classroom and thinking like gosh right I have to spend 10 minutes every day because that teacher isn't doing it and in the meantime there's all kinds of coaching happening you know that I just don't get to see because I'm in my space and it's not my business we we love to to believe we are are uber transparent now but there's still so much that can't ever be transparent Right. We are just legally, we're not allowed to, and contractually, we're not allowed to. And yeah, I did see that recently, and I don't know exactly what this means, but you are now a chief innovation officer. Okay. Now I got to tell you, this is one of the coolest things I've ever done. Awesome. Um, yeah. EIA, the Education Innovation Alliance, has an executive level chief innovation officer certification. It's designed for cabinet level Administrators, so superintendent, assistant superintendent, HR directors, fiscal directors, um, the CTO folks, the IT guys, the IT and women, the IT uh, men and women that are out there are extraordinarily valuable to have in this program. Because what it does is it bridges the um, language between finance, IT, human resources, and the superintendent position. Mm. And I've got to stand up a network um, as part of the program. I thought that was pretty cool. And, um, I thought if I can do it, (laughs) right, this is something, this is something that can be done. Yeah. Not a lot of people know even about simple things of like first interim versus second interim budget versus, you know, projections and all that kind of good stuff. Right. Exactly. So, so you, uh, you've been in a few different entities and you're just stepping into the Q role. What is your thought on, I call them para-educational organizations, but I don't think that's the right word, but organizations that aren't schools, but like Q or like um, ISTE or, you know, there's some obviously non-technology ones like um, NAESP. I think I said that one right. Um, yeah. What kind of role do you think they play in not only education right now, but like moving forward in, uh, in the next five to 10 years? I think all of our professional organizations play a really important role. And one of the biggest things that all, all of our organizations have in common is we are connecting like-minded or, you know, like similar vision type of folks, right? That the folks that are really all in for kids all the time, because if you're going to an event with one of these professional organizations or signing up or participating in a chat with them, you're doing it, you're giving up your free time and it's because you're all in for kids. I think these organizations and, you know, it's National Association of Elementary School Principals. And, you know, it brings folks that are in job alikes together to have the conversations about what's working and not working in a way that they have colleagues that they don't have access to every single day. You know, when you're a teacher, you have a staff lounge where you can pretty much go in and connect with colleagues. Then when you come to someplace like Q, you find that you're not stuck in that same narrative that you get stuck in every single day, or at least that was my experience as a teacher, right? We have our own narrative and our own cultures and being part of these professional organizations helps us to broaden our knowledge base and what's working in our own spaces as well as those of other organizations. Just for my, you know, 14 years, 15 years in education, there there seems to be a bottleneck or a threshold of the quality of professional development or even personal development that districts can offer or just, I don't know if it's nature of the beast. And so I think uh, these organizations play such an important role 
for those people that want to go farther and do more. Yes. And, you know, I would push back on, you know, districts can offer and say, have the mindset to be mm -hmm. able to offer. It's a risk to move away from the traditional. And mm -hmm. even with the demand from teachers, when a superintendent says, hey, yes, we're going to shift, there has to be board support for that. Otherwise, they may not have, not have a job. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a big deal. So and that's one thing, you know, when we're in our teacher role, we may not know what the politics behind the scenes. And I can tell you, I've had conversation conversations with far more than one superintendent about this. When teachers are demanding that level of engagement and personalized learning, and we know that's the way we need to be doing things, and then supporting our administrators over the long haul to be able to implement those system changes. Because otherwise, what we're just seeing is you know turnover in those lead positions, that bridge management classified and certificated. Mm -hmm. I, I love asking this question and I, you know, there's a variety of answers, but if you had a magic wand and someone said, Hey, you could fix one thing in all of, you know, the educational system that we have right now in our country, what would you, what would you focus on? What would be your one thing? My one thing would be to make sure that every single child that needs access to a school counselor during the day would have that access. Mm -hmm. That is, that I feel really strongly about that. We are doing a disservice in the way we are funding schools where we have to make decisions about whether or not we're going to have, um, you know, just basic personnel in some cases, um, let alone even be able to consider hiring a guidance counselor or being able to access folks who are have that credential because we keep cutting those positions and it's not a safe job to jump into. But yeah. We need to get our kids the services they need because when they're emotionally healthy, they can learn. Yeah, what's interesting, I, I have a phrase, I'm sure I didn't make it up, but I say mental capacity. I have the luxury of, of going to, you know, leadership meetings at the district, but not being the principal. You know, being assistant principal, there's definitely a buffer Right. That we're not, mm -hmm. you know, that we we definitely are protected a little bit. Maybe that's a strong word. I believe in the three districts I've been in, I, I feel like the mental capacity of the principals aren't taken into account because they have to be the lead instructor, the lead learner. They have to know IEPs because they're signing off on them. They have to know positive prevention, ed, you know, curriculum and, and support their teachers in that. They have to help their counselors and be a counselor. And I think um, at some point, uh, if we don't uh, spread that wealth and get the right experts in, it's going to be harder and harder to find uh, not only quality teachers, but quality leaders, which I think isn't talked about a lot. And I couldn't agree with you more because, you know, a site principal needs to know the school finance. They need to be really up on what's happening with, you know, whatever positive behavior intervention system or um, social emotional learning curriculum that is out there. They need to be available to the parents, the ones that are happy and supportive and the ones that are not. They need to be available to teachers and teachers need to be heard. They need to be available to classified staff, to the students. Like you mentioned, they need to you know, know special education. They need to know technology. They need to pr plan professional learning. They're the liaison to the district office and have demands that are being put on them from there too. And there's really only so much that one person can do during the course of a single day. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know 
coming from an administrator point of view and, you know, a teacher would say, well, you know, te- I'm not, I'm not minimizing the teachers are overloaded as well. Every, you know, the whole system's overloaded, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I can speak for at least in California, I feel like um, the schools not only are educational based now and social emotional, which is all connected, but there's a, um, there's a big unspoken thing that really we're trying to to be the parents because we can't assure all of our students have good parents and that's hard right that's a lot of stress and a lot of burden that most teachers take very very seriously and it and it's it's amazing what they do every day well teachers often are stepping in and in place of parents and i'm cautious with how i say that because there's so many you know amazing parents Mm -hmm. out there very much so very much so that's not to say that's you know a complete generalization, but there are just incredibly loving parents out there who are working so hard just to get up early to go to work in the morning and then are working two jobs and want to just put food on the table, make sure that they can pay the rent and have clothes on their kids' backs and send them off to school. And the teachers are the first ones to notice when a family mm-hmm. is in need and wrap them up in the love and care that they need and look out for those family supports. Um, Teachers are definitely our first line of love with kids. So last thing, a, a little story, and I don't know if you remember this, because um, we've crossed paths multiple times. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I sat in a session where you presented with John Iker. You held on and he talked a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, just here or there. But uh, do you remember the one night at Lead where we ended up uh, watching live music? I think it was you and <laughs> Mike Lawrence and... One other person who I can't remember her name, and Mike actually got up and sang uh, with the band for a song or two. Yes, yeah. that was a ton of fun. It? Yeah, I think yeah. that was lead three, maybe two or three years, maybe three years ago now. It was down in Redondo Beach. Yeah, and because I, I remember sitting there just being able to listen and be a fly on the wall because you can't replace institutional knowledge. Um, and so that, that was a lot of fun, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So I, I thank you for that for that time and being able to just listen and learn. Oh, well, that was my pleasure. That's just part of it. But I'll tell you where the most learning happens for me these days, Joe, is I'm really big on the concept of reverse mentorship and spending time with the incoming generation of Mm -hmm. teachers who are fresh and know what's going on and can relate to kids and dial me right back into that original passion and drive that brought us into this profession in the first place remind me of my why. I don't think I really veer from it, but it's good to have somebody that still has that same, you know, upstart level of passion coming into the profession. And then just here's how you connect to this generation. Here's how you connect to kids today. And I find that there's a lot of learning to be had from, from teachers that are are starting out their careers. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a freshness and uh, we have on my side, I have two brand new teachers this year and uh, it's been so much fun to just be a part of their first, first steps really. And they see things in a way you, you can't see them. So it's, um, and I don't remember my first year, so it was a blur. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I just need to, for, you know, go again, you know, in terms of apologies, apologize to all those kids in that first year and tell them, Hey man, I didn't know what I was doing. And yeah. they gave me a job. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was lucky to come into teaching when if you were breathing in California, you could get a credential um, because I didn't go to school to be a teacher. And I literally moved from the cornfields of Illinois to uh, a walk into a classroom in Vallejo. And it, so it was definitely I had no idea what was going on. I just showed up every day. Right. 
So Joe, I ended up getting into teaching on a fluke. I actually had a complete different career trajectory when I got pneumonia and had to had to move home and started subbing. And after um, somewhat um, with a little bit of, you know, attitude that you can only have in your 20s, let's say a little bit mm-hmm. of acid and said to one of my teachers, like, hey, with all due respect, there is no way in hell I would ever do the job that you're doing. You work so hard, you give so much, and I don't see you getting the appreciation that you deserve. And that's just, that's too much. And sure enough, you know, it was just a few years later, I ended up having to come back to our hometown, started subbing and realized, oh my gosh, you get paid to do this and to make a difference in the lives of kids. Yeah. I I tell people all the time, it's, it's not, not necessarily a calling. It's more of a sickness. I tried leaving the education field twice and and it pulled me back in. There's sometimes there's just nothing you can do. It it is who you are at the core of who you are. Right. It's work that feeds the soul. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to, I want to thank you so much for spending just a little bit of a time. If people want to connect with you on the Twitterverse, what, where can they, where they, you know, obviously Q.org, you're going to be all over that place. But where can they connect with you on Twitter? At P. Gilders, P-G-I-L-D-E-R-S. So that Gildersleeve Hernandez, it's um, at P. Gilders. And that's pretty much what my um, username is on anything. So if you're looking Mm -hmm. for me, at P. Gilders, and I'd love to connect. All right. Thank you so much, Pam. Thanks, Joe. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast at Clark's Room. I do appreciate you spending a few minutes of your day with me. If you like what you hear, don't forget to share, subscribe, and like through your favorite podcast provider. If you want to find more information about Clark's Room, you can go to clarksroom.com, find me on Twitter at Clark's Room, or visit the new Patreon site, patreon.com slash Clark's Room.